0: this is an update from the first episode i always make fun of you uh for how many (laughs) honey buns you eat because i find it alarming you eat you eat at, at a certain point in time you were eating eight honey buns a day and to the listeners like it's real eight honey buns like that's a real thing that you were doing and i was at a certain point i was like john you gotta stop this this is too dangerous and um what what's your honey bun intake look like these days
1: Honey bun update. First of all, I have my feet. They have not cut my foot off from diabetes. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus. I know there were some people like does he still have a foot? I do. <laughs> I do have my feet. <laughs> I I ran four miles on my feet today. And my honey Did you bun really intake. wow? That's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to trying to trying to get that all that weight from sitting around uh from lockdowns. Um but yeah, I'm down to, man, I'll be honest, probably Four honey buns a month.
0: Okay. That's yeah. not bad. Yeah, four a month. That's not bad. Not only that, you know, if Blap is wildly successful, I mean, you could have a honey buns bakery that's making these things with organic ingredients. I
1: already looked up Honey Bun Island. <laughs>
0: hey, everybody. We are back with a new episode of Working It Out. That's the voice of John Laster. You know John Lasseter, you love him. He was one of the first guests we ever had on the show. People have requested a return of John Lasseter to me on the internet over and over and over again. They've shouted at me. I'm not supposed to listen to you shouting on the internet. Sometimes I do. Uh, <laughs> we got I have a great, great chat with John today. Uh, a couple things. I'm out on tour. I'm at City Winery in New York City this week, just doing a pop-up show. I think it's sold out, but if if you want to be on in the know about that, uh, sign up for my mailing list. Uh, those are the first people to find out about these pop-up shows. I'll be in Minneapolis, I'll be in Charlotte. Uh, I'll be in uh, Indianapolis. Dallas, and then Chicago. I'm doing a whole bunch of shows in Chicago and then Los Angeles, London, Paris, Iceland. And uh, if you're loving the show, if you enjoy the show, write down on Apple Podcasts. Take a minute. Pause right now. Go on to Apple Podcasts. Just say, my favorite episode was the one with Hannah Gadsby. My favorite one was the one with John Mulaney. It's helpful for us finding uh, more friends, and more enemies. We really appreciate it. Today on the show, we have John Lasser. John is like one of the funniest comics, one of the nicest comics I've ever worked with. He's got an amazing life story. You'll hear a a ton of great stories today. And he recently invented an app that is phenomenal. It's called Blap. It is an app that supports Black-owned businesses. It's sort of like Yelp, where it, it sees where you are, and then it recommends a local restaurant, a local black owned cafe or bar or salon, etc. It's just a fantastic thing. He's a, such a dynamic person. I love talking to him. I think he's hilarious. Enjoy my conversation with the great John Laster. It's weird. You've lived, you really have lived like so many lifetimes. I mean, if people don't know, you're a phenomenal comedian. You're, you, you, you almost played pro ball, basketball. Yeah. And, and now you're an entrepreneur of this phenomenal company. I mean, you've lived a lot of life. Like, what do you, like, where do you go from here?
1: I mean, at the, the stage that I'm at, it's like live, love and leave, leave a legacy. So, like, how do you? Yeah. I think the highest form of of life is giving back. You know what? 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 Yeah. What were you able to give back? So, I think that's probably what I what I end up doing. I always laugh about it, but I wouldn't be surprised even if I became a billionaire. I wouldn't die a billionaire. I'd probably end up giving it all away before I died.
0: That's interesting. Do you feel like you're getting the the live life legacy from Blap?
1: I absolutely do. The first time I I used the app it dawned on me like no matter what i do in comedy i'm a decent comedian but it'll never top cuz i started thinking well what if what if we got a million people on the app right mike we know a lot of people so let's 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 imagine that we get a million people on the app and everybody did just that and never used the app again that would be 50 million dollars in small businesses registers and there's nothing that i could do even in that instant, it it all hit me like, they're gonna have to put this on your tombstone. There's nothing that we could do that is better than helping out a community. It's been four hundred years that you know black owned businesses. You know that we've had a headwind in this country, but now we just put in the palm of your hand the ability to roll some of that back. I'll never be able to top that. So yeah, I mean, I'm I to be flagrantly honest with you, yeah. Now I'm playing legacy ball.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because it's like. The thing that's hard to explain, I feel like, about systemic racism in in America
1: to people who
0: have black friends, which is the cliche. I have black friends. I'm not racist. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's like, it's like, it's more than that. It's more than having some black friends. It's, uh, it's, It's acknowledging that the country has systemically put programs in place that have held back black uh, interests financially
1: yeah i mean the other thing too you know when it comes to like systemic racism cuz you know oftentimes you know especially with my white friends it's like yeah we need to start having the uncomfortable conversations until it's time to do it and then people people don't want anything to do with it people want to people want to go to bed at night feeling like hey it's a fair fight out here you know what i mean or or you feel or you feel bad and i don't mean White people, I mean, anybody feels bad. It's almost like sometimes like when you, you know, do you walk past that homeless person or do I give them something? We all have that like, you know what I mean? Like it's your fault or maybe it's not this guy. You know, we don't really know. Should I give this guy some money or is he just not doing as good as, you know, but we would like to think that he had the same shot as us. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't want to think that, oh my God, the tables were tipped for me. I had somebody at the comedy cellar, um, the other night she said she's from alabama she's a politician people start booing i said you can't boo her <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. the whole oh, that's cra- so the, funny. The, oh, the crowd was like boo oh no i said what do you do she said i work in politics and i said where she said alabama yeah. and people were like boo and i oh, said okay no. you know i think safe to say you're republican she said yeah and i said you know as long as you're not a delusional republican and she said no no you know, I know the election, this, that, the other. And I said, no, it's, it's more than that. And, when, you know, when you talk about systematic racism. And she was like, well, what do you mean? You know, like almost like, yeah. well, as long as I believe the election. So I was like, well, you know, you, you have to understand that you support some things that, that almost inherently... Um, Without thinking about them, you know, like, like say, for example, the example that I gave her was, you understand that if me and my friends rushed the Capitol on January 6th, yeah. me and a bunch of black guys, it would be a bloodbath. There's no way in the world we would have survived hitting cops, black men, hitting cops, like with, with bear spray and clubs and rushing into, it would have been, there would have been snipers on the roof. Do you know what I mean? But the idea yeah. that we have a leader yeah. who sat there for three yeah. hours while these white guys did that. And those are the same people that say, no such thing as system. You are literally watching the government not using the same yeah. tools that it would yeah. against me in real yeah. time. Yeah. God forbid yeah, that true. would have been Mo Ammer and a bunch of Muslim guys. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Moammar was on the podcast last week. That's hilarious. you know what's funny about yeah, so Am- Okay, so we're both friends with Mohammer. He came on the podcast, and we're talking about how he t- he has a special on Netflix called Muhammad in Texas, and he talks about how and this is a perfect example. He talks about how his neighbor in Houston they called him Redneck Scott.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> he goes, he goes, you know he goes redneck scott he's got a generator you know what i mean like he you know he may not believe in systemic racism but like he's he's good to us you know he's you know he's a good neighbor and he doesn't care that i'm i'm muslim and whatever and so what i said to mo is i go like but if you asked redneck scott if he believed that there was systemic racism like, how would you convince him that that's real? And and Mo just goes, "I'm not doing that." <laughs> <laughs> and I was just it's laughing because it's like it's he's not wrong. It's like where do you begin that conversation?
1: But you're literally watching right in front of your own eyes the system being used differently. It's funny because even the the person who works in politics from Alabama. She, when I asked her, do you think I would have survived that? She said, no. Oh, God. So you actually can attest to you watching you the system. Know. You know. But then when some, when you ask the same person, do you believe in systemic racism? They say, no. I'll give you another example. One of the reasons that I created Black was watching George Floyd get choked to death and die, right? He's my height, my weight, my skin color. Exactly. Like, two, two, within one pound... We're the same same body type. So you're watching yourself essentially be choked on television, right? Yeah. I'll give you another example of systemic racism of people who say that they don't believe in systemic racism, right? They don't believe in it. On the day of the George Floyd decision, when the cops were, they were coming down with the verdict, they boarded up Minneapolis. But stop and think about that for a moment. We watched the guy get the life choked out of him on national television. And they were so sure, so sure, that, that this cop wasn't going to be punished that they boarded up the city. Does anyone think that if some white woman was choked, that they would board up the city? No one would board up anything. But no. the idea that these same people who say there's no systematic racism thought, you might be able to get away with that with a black guy. Wow. That's where we live.
0: This is called The Slow Round, and it's, uh, it's just sort of memories and things like that, uh, things that stick with you. Do you have a memory of something that makes you cringe still when you think about it?
1: Probably, not in a gross way, but a terrified way. I remember we grew up, you know, poor. And my mom couldn't... How afford- poor... Can you can you qualify that? How poor were you growing up? Um, I grew up in the part of Denver that wasn't on the brochure. So I know what people think of Denver, white women and skiing. Not where I grew up. So I grew up... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, where people were crip walking at funerals and uh, a lot of shooting, a lot of gang banging, dope selling.
0: Yeah, so then what What was the first thing that you were saying? That I was going oh, yeah. so
1: my mom made me play basketball. And I, she, my mom couldn't afford football pads and I wanted to skate. We didn't have a car, you know, all the time yeah. I was younger. So we had to take the bus everywhere. It was too far on the bus to go by myself. So the basketball was like 10 bucks from Woolworths. So my mom got me a basketball. Here's where the cringe comes in. I'm supposed to be going to... I signed up for basketball. Practice is two days a week. I'm telling my mom I'm going to basketball practice, going to basketball practice. Of course I'm not. I'm just hanging out with my friends. Like, hey, mom, oh, okay. I'm headed to practice. I put the ball down on the back porch and then go hang out. My mom, five months later, says, hey, I have work off. I'm going to come to your game on Saturday. Oh, no. I've never been to practice. <laughs> yes. Whoa. I didn't even know. I forgot where the day I'm... Uh, recreation center was. So I call up my friends who are on the team. Dude, I gotta do something. They were like, oh dude, God. just come, just come to the game. Let's no. see what we can do for you. Yeah. I show up at the game. No. Keep in mind, like I said, I grew up in the hood. So the basketball coach is an alcoholic. He doesn't really know who's on the team. <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh my like, God. He doesn't oh really God. know who's on the team. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean he would come reeking of alcohol. So we go into the locker room right and I'm standing there, my mom's sitting out <sighs> there. I'm scared Mike. I am terrified, right? And they start calling out the jerseys. Who's number 1? Who's number 2? And everybody didn't always show up for the games either. You know what I mean? Sometimes he would come. So he says, "Who's number 14?" and somebody puts their hand up, right? He says, "Who's number 15?" Silence. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. That's Put my hand so up. Funny. Yeah. And I was able to sit that's there on the so edge of the bench. Do you think that
0: that's part of the reason why you started even playing? Because you were avoiding it.
1: That's the whole reason. Dude, let me tell you, Mike. I was so scared she was going to come back to a game. I started going to practice. That's kind of amazing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Isn't that amazing how serendipitous life can be? Is that it became this thing that you almost play professional basketball. And it was literally your mom sort of pressured you into doing anything. You didn't even do it. Yeah. Until she threatened to show up,
1: she she comes to this place called the Red Shield Center, and I was like, "Yo, if I cause because imagine me having to tell her what I had been doing, yeah, all that time." So when she said it, I just cringed like, "Oh shit, what am I gonna do?" Oh my god. So yeah, luckily I um I, I go there and I get a jersey and and uh, and I was terrible, but I was terrified she would come back. So I started going to practice, and me, I'm just a competitive person by nature. So if I'm there, yeah, might as well, you know, we might as well get it, get it going.
0: Do you relate like with the Jordan documentary? You watch the Jordan documentary, yeah. It's like, do you relate to the thing that he says, where he's like, "I took it personally," you know, and it was the competitive. He has like a co- competitiveness. To, I would say almost to a fault. To a, no, it's not to a fault. It's just to an extreme that like you don't often encounter someone who's that
1: competitive. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can totally relate. I think that Jordan, you know, I think that when we see our heroes, we like to look at them in an all around good light. Sure. Some of our heroes probably don't want to be around those people outside of what they do. (laughs) (laughs) You You
0: and I know that very well.
1: Yes, exactly. We know <laughs> in comedy, that comedy certainly. We know yeah. that extremely well in comedy. <laughs> so you watch this person in their element, you're like, "Oh my god, I love this person." And yeah. they say, "Thank sure. you, good night." And they walk backstage and everybody's like, "This guy's an asshole." Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what Jordan was. But I play ball with people like that. They were beasts on the court, but you don't want to hang with them after it's over. They you know yeah. yeah, Very selfish, very um self-centered people.
0: Did you relate to another character in that documentary? Like did you relate to Steve Kerr, Paxson, no uh, the other guys? No.
1: Not at all. Really? Yeah. How come? I've always been in my in in the environments that I've operated in, an alpha male. So when I worked the hood circuit, I was a I was a rock star. On the hood circuit, yeah, when I in comedy, in comedy, in comedy yeah. Can you
0: tell? Can you tell the listeners about the hood circuit because, like, I've heard about it over the years from you and Keith Robinson and in different comics, but I don't know if if generally people realize what a huge scene this is. And actually, as I understand it, was bigger at a certain point in time.
1: Well, the hood circuit is primarily like bar shows that exist across the country. You know, they're little black-owned establishments where they decide to set up a comedy night. And historically, it was because they wouldn't let us into mainstream clubs. You know, they used to be called juke joints, and then eventually it became a, a, a black comedy circuit where you go to these places, they pay you for the night, um, and and we perform. I mean, the explosion of that, the first time that the number of people that work on that circuit was ever seen was HBO's Def Jam
0: yeah yeah and Def Jam and I came, came up home. on that I, I I was watching that in the nineties and I yeah. I was I loved I loved it
1: yeah so the Bernie Max the Chris Tuckers the Steve Harvey's of the world you know people that hadn't been seen ever before Dave chappelle yeah was you know first time I saw him was on Def Jam um yeah so so those people got a chance to finally come into the light into some mainstream audience do you know what I mean you'll never see a Chris Tucker or a you know the the said the entertainers or the Steve Harveys, you'll never see them on late night. We're just not welcome there, right? You know what I mean. Or or a lot of those spots on comedy, we know we're not welcome there. Um, so wow. yeah, I mean, so you got to You got to get in where you fit in, and you you get your chops up in the in the hood circuit. What's a story
0: that you don't really tell on stage, but you might want to try telling on stage
1: at some point? So my past has a lot of. Um, rehabs, uh, outpatients. <laughs> so these are yeah. my cocaine days and I'm sitting in an after hours and this girl says we should go home. We do go home. And um, and someone knocks on the door and she said, that's my boyfriend. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Crazy. Yeah, and she said, he has a gun. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, well, that changes things. No. Yes. So she said, you got to get out of here. Keep in mind, we're in an apartment building. There is no get out of here.
0: Right, you know what right, I
1: mean? and I don't even know if this place has a fire escape. It's not one of those buildings. Yeah, and she said, "You got to get out of here." And I was like, "Yo, how am I gonna get out of here?" You know, we're whispering in the back room, <laughs> panicking because he is. First of all, only way I knew that that only reason I believe that he had a gun is because he's hitting the door. It's a metal door, right? Kind of a no. hood building, and you know the sound of metal on metal.
0: Yeah, sure. So you know, this
1: guy's got a lot of keys. Oh, scary oh, sound. Oh, that's a real gun. yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's some metal type of, on metal scary you know, always he's some type of custodian or something or, you know <laughs> what i mean are you, are you are you fucking with the janitor what's going on here oh, no. but, but i'm hearing this gun the butt of this gun hitting the door so she said you got to get out of here and i said yo i i, I can't get out of here and then her roommate opens up the door and she said you got to come in here you know so i run into her yeah they had this down to a science I run into her roommate's room. I start putting my clothes on because I'm naked, right? Her roommate says, "No, take your clothes off and get in the bed." Then her roommate starts oh, taking God. all her clothes off. <laughs> so now we're both naked, standing there, and she's pointing like, "Get in the bed! Get in the bed!" You know. I get in the bed. The girl I was just in bed with pulls the door shut behind us and goes to open the front door. The dude comes in, really has a gun. Whoa. This guy really has a gun. So he comes in. Hey, what's going on in here? I know something's going on. And then by the grace of God, the new roommate that I'm in bed with does some MacGyver shit that only women could think of this fast. You know, women are, yeah, awful. So she was like, (laughs) wraps (laughs) wraps a sheet around her and opens up the bedroom door and pretends that he just woke us up. Oh, my God. Yeah. She opens up the door. She was like, hey, what's going on out here? Right, and the guy fell for it he was like oh my god i'm sorry did i just wake y'all up i followed her lead i wrapped the sheet around me hey it's okay oh, you know? we god. were sleeping and he's standing there with a gun and then he says hey well since we're all up now you guys want to play cards oh my god <laughs> exactly. y'all want to play cards what are you gonna do <laughs> say no i'm standing there naked with a sheet on right? uh yeah whatever you want to do my dude um, oh and then and, uh, we played cards. I actually ended up liking the other roommate more. No kidding. Yeah, so she was like, "Hey, me and John are going back to bed." And then I, I actually did. I ended up sleeping with her. You've
0: lived uh, <laughs> a lot more lifetimes than <laughs> uh, the, well, like I had originally said. Podcast.
1: That sounds like an that sounds like an Oberbignlia story. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's the strangest gig story? Because you and I both have performed at colleges and in cafeterias and and the strangest places. What's what's the strangest sort of gig story you have?
1: I think, man, years ago, years and years ago, these dope dealers used to hire me to work in Austin. Yeah. Right? And I try not to judge people, right? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You try not to, especially black people, right? I try not to stereotype. The first tell was Buki and Cowboy, right? That was the first red. Yeah. What do you mean? What
0: they're, do you mean? Their, that's their names
1: name? were Buki and Cowboy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And they're it's like radio DJs. Like, yeah, radio DJs, yeah, or coke dealers. So they they so they got this gig, man, and and I, I, they were flying me down every week. You know what I mean? To to yeah. to to work this show. And one time we um we get down there. And I'm running late, and they said, hey, man, we're going to pull into the gas station. Um, and uh, and I was like, "Ah, oh, you know, we're running late, running late. Keep in mind, all this time, um, Leslie has texted me like, hurry up. They're going to try to start the show. They're going to try to start the show. I don't want them to start yeah. the show. I want you to host the show. She's headlining. They end up starting the show, this guy from Houston, who's never been a host before. He goes on stage and apparently him and this guy in the balcony are going back and forth. The guy says something, the host guy says, yeah, that's what your mom said last night. Sure. So then the guy said, hey man, come on, be respectful. That's what your mom said last night. Right. So eventually yeah. the guy says, hey man, I'll a come classic, down.
0: A classic yes. like <laughs> seventh grade tussle <laughs> then in adulthood. Classic,
1: that's what she said, right? That's what she, yeah. that's what she yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they're sure. doing that. that's yeah. what she said, right? And the guy says, I'll come down there. So of course he <sighs> says, That's what your mom said (laughs) last
0: night. Yeah, sure.
1: The guy gets up, starts walking down this spiral staircase, Mike, in this bar, right? Because now I'm there. I'm late, but, you know, they were going to try to transfer the the hosting over to me. This guy walks down the steps, walks toward the stage. The comedian guy is standing there like, yo, nobody's going to break this up? You know, where's security? It's a spiral. They had plenty of time. Yes. dude walks toward the stage. The comedian unscrews the mic stand from the base, pulls it up like this, no, and hits the guy across the head.
0: No, <laughs> yes.
1: he's completely knocked John, out.
0: What is this story?
1: Yes, yeah. The guy is unconscious. Mike, he's he's completely unconscious. He's laid out, and then no. se- and then security no. and then security runs to the stage grabs him under his arms and drags him out the back. No. His girlfriend stands up and she's like, hey, he just hit my boyfriend. The comedian is panicked, right? Because he he doesn't know how many people are with this guy. Runs out the door and um, jumps in his car and leaves. We're in Austin. He leaves for Houston. Wow. So then after that, they run over to me. I'm standing in the corner now watching this whole thing in horror as people run out of the place. And they come over to me with this cordless microphone, and they were like, hey, John, man, could you go up there? I was like, all you had to wait is five minutes for me to get here. So people do eventually come back in. But it's so funny because some of the front rows were still empty. So as people come in, they're walking toward the front row for the rest of the night. And the rest of the night, I would just, as a callback, like, unscrew the mic stand. (laughs) (laughs) I would unscrew the mic stand and cock it back. And they didn't know what was going on. You know, the rest of the crowd is laughing. But those people, that were, you know, just getting there. They were looking at me like, what's this guy doing? And they would sit down. It
0: would be funny if you were like, I just want to say up front, my mom doesn't say a lot.
1: <laughs> yes, man. <I> watched <laughs> in case somebody anyone get, was wondering. I watched someone get knocked out completely cold by a comedian. That's bananas. Yeah. That's bananas. Yeah. Did, the, did, the, did the comedian get in trouble? No, he was defending himself. Whoa. Why would he... And keep in mind, I'm working with some hood dudes. Yeah. You know? They were like, dude, you had no business coming, you know, coming downstairs and you like had, that. And you
0: had, what, you had another story that you told me once about when you played a prison.
1: Oh, yeah. We used to do these shows, right, between Thanksgiving and New Year's, because that's when the homicide suicide rates spike. So I would go do Rikers every year just to bring their spirits up. So the inmates walk into the gym. They made them walk along the outer line and then take a sharp little left and then sit in the bleachers because we're performing in the middle of the gym. So they walk along the outer line and then into the bleachers. And I'm performing, I'm performing, and I'm cracking jokes on the correction officers because that's what they love the most. Yeah, that's the move. Yes, that's the move. They, They ate that up. So I'm killing the correction officers. And then I see this inmate walking but he's not walking on that far line and then right to the bleachers he's kind of taken a a, a path kind of toward me that i was like eh, i don't know if, you know this guy you know why is this guy walking toward me and he's in pajamas he looks like he's wearing pajamas right and dark-skinned guy and you know we're all having a good time and i was like oh look at this black ass dude and, ah, they go crazy oh he looks like a roach ah they're going crazy Your black ass is so dark, if I threw salt on you, you would look like outer space. Ah, you know, I'm doing the stock black jokes, you know what I mean? I bet you get in in a car and the oil light comes on. Ah, so he gets close and I said, yo, man, your black ass looks like Flavor Flav, right? (laughs) (laughs) And the crowd goes ballistic. They're in the bleachers now running around. And right, and I was like, yo, don't he, don't his black ass look like Flavor Flav. And he keeps getting closer, getting closer. And he gets right on top of me, and I was like, that's Flavor Flav. (laughs) (laughs) And then he gets right here and he just screams, yeah, boy, (laughs) it's Flavor Flav, yo. And he he hugs me, he embraces me. And he was like, yo, man, I was scared to walk through because you were so funny. And he said, hey, man, keep doing your thing, man. Good luck to you. You know, I love what you're doing. And, wow. and, and me and Flav just stood there and hugged for a minute. But the, they were going so crazy that it was just the end of the show. You know, you can't, it's not going up from there.
0: That is the best. <laughs> that is like the, <laughs> one of the strangest turns of a story I could ever imagine. What is a, do you remember a version of yourself in your life where, When you look back, you sort of cringe because it was like, it it was like a, it wasn't an authentic version of yourself. Like it wasn't who you are.
1: Yeah. Um, I used to, uh, my best friend was a strip club DJ. And so during the shifts, a lot of the dancers would ask him to make phone calls and get them coke. And then, you know, he's making all these phone calls because they can't make them. They're working. He's in the DJ booth. He could do a little more. And then he decides, you know what? Why don't I just buy the Coke myself and sell Mm. it? Needless to say, if your bestie is a Coke dealer, there's always cocaine around. So I think the version of me that makes me cringe was the, uh, the addict that panicked people around him. You know, That's my, interesting. my mom showed up from Denver one time with my brother at a place that I don't even to this day know how she found it. And she was like, I'm your mom. I can find you anywhere. Um, but people were very, very concerned about me. I just got up phone with a buddy of mine, Jonathan Martin, comedian out of Jersey. And uh, and Mike Yard one time told me, too, that they'd seen me at a show and they were like, dude, you were forgetting your punchlines. And, and yeah. he said he turned to the promoter. And as I walked out after that set and promoter asked him he said is that the last time we'll ever see him
0: oh shit really
1: you know but for people to 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 have you know i i I bumped into an old friend one time after i had pulled it together you know this is years ago and she just started bawling like fell down to the ground and she was like oh my god you look so good
0: i I didn't know what was
1: going to happen to you so that version of me is uh is is you know that uh is is pretty cringeworthy
0: Rosebud Baker was on the podcast, and and I asked her this because she's struggled with addiction stuff and talked about it. And so I'm like, I have a lot of friends over the years who've struggled with addiction. It's like, how do how do you be a good friend to someone who's an addict?
1: I think that you can you can be a friend with boundaries. Unfortunately, I've seen episodes of uh, intervention and I've seen shows where. You see someone saying, oh, my God, if I would have just helped them, they wouldn't have went to jail or they wouldn't have overdosed. There's zero truth to that.
0: That's interesting.
1: Zero truth. You cannot coddle someone into uh, not using anymore. you got to put a draw line and say, if they pass away, if they overdose, that is not your fault, (laughs) nor could you have stopped it. I used to go out with my friends when they were trying to get me to stop, and they would say, hey, man, we will... Make sure no one gives you anything. We'll sit around you, which they did. Yeah. And if anybody was like, hey, you want a drink? Or girls would be flirting and try to give me a drink. They'd be like, you know, we will knock your block off. He's not drinking. Get away. Don't even think about it. He's out to have a good time without that. So I would would say, hey, fellas, you know, I really appreciate you guys, um, you know, looking out for me tonight because that's what they were doing. And I would say, hey, just drop me here at the bodega. You know, I'll walk home. And they would be yeah. like, all right, man. So, you know, we'll do this again. You can go out, you just prove to yourself you could have a good time without drinking. And I would be like, You're exactly right. And then I would go into the bodega and I would buy a sprite, which was like two bucks. I would give the bodega guy $15 and he would hand me the sprite back with a bootleg bottle of liquor. Unbelievable. So even though after all that time they thought they had yeah. stopped me from drinking. Yeah. I would go right into that liquor store, buy that $13 pint of Bacardi. He'd stick it in the bag, and I would walk out and go drink all night at home. You're not going to stop an addict from doing what
0: they do. Yeah, it's the the concept of building a wall. It's like you're going to go under the wall, you're going to go around the wall, all that stuff. I used to tell a a joke about
1: that, about like, you know, like, oh, build the wall. And I was like, do you really think a woman, a woman, who is tough enough to grab up two of her kids and walk across a country or two.
0: Yes, a country or
1: two. With her kids, a woman who is in danger of yeah. being assaulted, all the foul shit that she had to put up with walking across those two countries, is gonna get to a wall and then be like, oh. <laughs> oh, that's so dark, but you're so right. <laughs> Guess we should just head on home, kids. Yeah, <laughs> didn't yeah. know they were going to put a, a 12-foot wall here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? Wow. Do you really think a woman tough enough? Those women can eat through that wall after that yeah. walk. Are uh, A yeah. walk. Come yeah. on. Are you crazy you're going to build a wall That's, to stop a woman who's tough enough to walk across a country with her children? <sighs> Good luck, people.
0: What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given that you used?
1: Uh years ago, Tracy Morgan told me never ask a motherfucker how to get something they ain't got. Oh man. And that that I use that in every facet of life.
0: Working it out is sponsored in part by Helix Mattresses. If you listen to the podcast, you know that I have sincere love and gratitude to to the good people at helix mattresses <laughs> they make the most comfortable mattress I've ever slept on it shows up wait for it in a box shows up in a box you open it it opens up like those old-fashioned uh, worms in a can toy from the 80s and uh it's just so darn comfortable I read the truth is on the podcast, their sponsor off the podcast. I recommend them to friends. Go to helixsleep.comslash perbigs. Take their two minute sleep quiz. They'll match you with a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Ooh, I love those pillows for our working out listeners at helixsleep.comslash perbigs. Working it out is sponsored in part by All Form. You know I love Helix, right? That's established. That's, that's, not, that's not in the rumor mill. I'm public about that. I'm public about how I love Helix mattresses. Uh, here's the good news. Helix has left the bedroom and started making sofas. I also love sofas. In my, my special, the new one, I talk extensively about how I love my sofa. <laughs> I love my couch. Uh, they, uh, Helix created this company called Allform. And they make the best sofas. And what makes them really cool is that you can customize a sofa using their premium materials at a fraction of the cost. Uh, they've got armchairs and love seats and all the way up to like an eight seat sectional. I'm literally sitting on one right now in my office. It's beautiful fire engine red chair. Uh, couldn't recommend it more to find your perfect sofa check out allform.com/forbigs. Right now Allform is offering 20% off all orders for working it out listeners at allform.com/forbigs. So this is some material that I'm trying to work out. I'm I'm sort of in the process as you know of uh, my next show which is called The Old Man and the Pool it's all about aging and mortality and swimming you've seen a lot of pieces of it but uh so i had some material i was just going to i jotted down this week it's it's and some of this is really hit or miss i mean i think sometimes when people listen to the show they don't realize that like this really is like not finished like when i'm doing material like i there, there, there's you know 60 70 episodes of the show it's not going to be a 60-hour show. It's going to be a one-hour show.
1: <laughs> you know, so Most so of this, this is going on the cutting room floor.
0: Yeah, and that's, that, you know, this is a window into the process. But, uh, you know, so it's this is the kind of thing we bounce around jokes when we're talking. But um, I wrote this the other day. I put on my swim trunks the other day, and I don't wear a Speedo. I wear a Speedless. It's, it's it's not it's not aerodynamic. It's aerody quickly.
1: <laughs> it's so stupid. Yo, first of all, the idea of you in a speed-up is terrible. <laughs> Thank you so much, by the
0: way. Such a, you're such a good friend. The... <laughs> wrote the joke the other day, and, and I'm, I bet you have jokes like this over the years. I wrote it because people ask me so often, oh, you swim? Do you wear a Speedo? <laughs> and I'm just like, no, I don't fucking wear a Speedo. You know what I mean? Right, but I'm like, yes. I got to come up with a more clever answer. So yes. yes. I'm like, I, wear, I have a Speedless. I have, I have a, a Speedless. Speedless. It, but it bunches up. It's permanently damp. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna try it. But it's honestly, it's because people ask me. You ever have that with jokes where people ask you about it so much that you end up writing a joke because they ask you so often?
1: Yeah. Well, they're they're also cueing you into what they're sitting there thinking.
0: I know. Yeah, they're
1: they're 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 telling you where to go with it. So I I like that you you rolled with it.
0: My a, brother Joe Joe less. had
1: Joe well
0: Joe had a joke about. A speedo,
1: yo, your, your, your brother Joe is so funny, man. Well, Joe's a riot. Oh, he's a, a riot. Riot, yo. He, <laughs> he's a riot, y'all. So, so, so
0: here's, what, here's what Joe wrote Joe wrote, um, um, I'm willing to sacrifice this is about the Speedo. He wrote, I'm willing to sacrifice some speed in the water in exchange for everyone else at the pool not being able to check out a silhouette of my penis. <laughs> Is there is there anything else you're working on right now? Is there anything you're working on right now, material-wise?
1: Uh um, I'm trying to get it together right now. Yeah? Yeah. I'm like, you know, like I almost want to just dump, I wanna get rid of uh the uh I almost wanna get rid of the pandemic stuff.
0: Oh yeah. That's how I feel about it. I, I almost don't even mention it.
1: Yeah, I wanna I almost wanna just Get just not speak on it anymore. I'm trying to get more into the stuff that I'm dealing with. with well, dad. you
0: have that, you know what, you have that funny, uh, I don't know if you're comfortable sharing it, but you have that great line about the, the billionaire thing, the meeting where the guy goes, you're going to be a billionaire.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you, you know, there was actually three guys, but the lead guy they said was a billionaire. And I, I've always said, there's no such thing as a good billionaire because you're, you're hoarding money. A lot of people don't even realize that though. A lot of people, we say millionaire, billionaire, almost in daily conversation. People don't know what a billion dollars is. Sure. So, doing the joke on stage, I give people an example of what a billion dollars is. You know what I mean? Like if I gave if I gave you a million dollars and you spent ten thousand dollars a day every day for seven days a week, <laughs> yes, take you yes. three months. Yes. Three months to run out of that million dollars. If I gave you a billion dollars, spend ten thousand dollars a day every day for seven days a week, it'd take you two hundred and seventy-nine years to spend that billion dollars. Yeah, that's how much a billion dollars is, and a lot of people times people don't realize that. That's why I always say there's no such thing as a good billionaire. And we're in this meeting, man, and the the, the guys, he's just beating me up, man. He's like, Hey man, I think this app is racist. And, <laughs> and then he just he just says, Hey oh, man. Oh god. I'm going to be honest with you. There's nothing special about this app. It's not my cup of tea. You know, and if you want to know what we think of the app, we assessed it. If you want to know what we think of the app. And I was like, you know what? I I, I think that you told me that you, you, know, that you, <laughs> you think it's shit. <laughs> you don't and, like it. Yeah, you don't like it. And then he said, we assessed it. You know, only thing that you've done right is you're in the right place at the right time. That's why you just kind of got lucky here, Mr. Laster. He said that in my wow. face. And then he wow. said, you know, but... We think it'll probably be worth several hundred million dollars in the next year or two, and you'll probably be a billionaire in two years. And my first thought was, maybe there are good billionaires. (laughs) 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 I would be a good billionaire. (laughs) Oh, that's really funny. (laughs) Maybe there are good billionaires after all. That's really funny. I love that.
0: (laughs) This is something I wrote down. You know how you have a notebook and you're just like, I don't even know when— I wrote this or why <laughs> yeah. I wrote this, but yes. I've searched billionaire in my notes and I, I wrote this is very similar to your thought. I'm not sure people grasp how much money billionaires have. They have a thousand million dollars. They should be called thousand millionaires. But people should be like that guy has a thousand million dollars all the time. But people are like there's mil- there's millionaires and there's billionaires. I'm like whoa whoa whoa. That's one letter difference, yes. and it's off by 999 million dollars. Million dollars. It's one letter. It's one letter represented by—that's 11 spaces over on the alphabet. Forget the fuck about trillionaires, by the way. That's a thousand billionaire. So I think it should be—this is why it's it so stupid. It's so, like— goofball, but it's like it should be like there's millionaires and there's goobla dibla dares and there's tr-, like trillionaires should be like and it's like you can't even pronounce it there's Icelandic words in it you know what I mean like it should be impossible to say billionaire like basically impossible to say it
1: it should take a long time I like that this is my last this is my
0: last bit um So I'm not from an I love you family. Are you from an I love you family? No. You're not? No. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, we do now, but not coming up. You do now? Yeah, we, I think me and my brother and my sister are more that way than my mom was with us when we were growing up. So yeah, we we weren't weren't really that.
0: So anyway, I was thinking about how I, uh, I was thinking about why I don't say I love you to my parents, because like, there's no downside. Like I'm, Like worst case scenario, I say, mom and dad, I love you. They don't respond. They keep watching Hannity or whatever they're doing. They die eventually. (laughs) Scenario two, I say, I love you, mom and dad. They say, Michael, we have something to tell you. We actually don't love you. They die eventually. I think to myself, something always did seem weird. (laughs) Scenario three, I say, mom and dad, I love you. My mom starts singing the Tina Turner classic, What's Love Got to Do With It, which is a great song that my mom actually does love. So this scenario is not entirely inconceivable. It's just confusing. So I'm going to invert the game and imagine that I don't tell my parents that I love them. They die eventually. I regret it for the rest of my life. and Which is, of course, not—it's more of a dramatic ending— to, like, a series of, like, jokes. But, yeah, so I'm sort of kicking that around in the show. Because I talk a lot about saying I love you in the new show.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. You could just, yo. I love all of the examples of what you gave of what they're doing in the meantime. I, I get, you know, and if your parents, you know, don't, that's not their love language. When you say that to them, they're probably like, I kept the lights on, didn't I? Exactly. <laughs> you know I mean? No, exactly. You know I mean? and they're they're and they're like, did you eat? You know, did you eat all those? Years? Yeah, they go like, did you? <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: have you made a dentist
1: appointment? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, so, so yeah, that's that's where they are. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, whoop 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 whoop. Hey, are you did, gonna do? We, we did the thing. Are you
0: gonna rake the leaves? You know, that's I love you. <laughs> yeah. Michael, we need you to fix the computer and rake the leaves. That's I love you.
1: Yeah, that's the that's uh, interpretation. Uh, I love you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Translation, yeah. Translation. I love you. <laughs>
0: Okay, so the final thing that we do on the show is called Working it Out for a Cause. And it's basically we take a nonprofit that you think is doing a good job, and then I contribute to them. We link to them in the show notes. And is there any nonprofit that you really like?
1: Um, it's called Java. It's called Java, but it's a friend of mine who is trying. It's a it's a heavy lift. But I I love what she's trying to do. And it's um it's an initiative to educate kids that aren't privileged around the world to educate them. And she's built this um, hardware.
0: um, JoinJara.com, I just got it. Yes,
1: joinJara.com, yes. She already built hardware for it, and it doesn't even require Wi-Fi. Wow,
0: that's incredible. It empowers children in under resources low-internet, low-electricity communities to receive a quality education anytime, anywhere through the Jara unit. That's a
1: really smart idea. That's a really smart idea. Yeah. And she already built a prototype for it. You know, I mean, like I said, that would require a lot of uh, money raising. But I mean, uh, raising awareness to it is a start. You know, everybody's, you know, it's like everybody's got to do their part. That's the thing I love about you. Yeah. Mike. You know what I mean? You do, like, you were like, hey, man, I want to help this movement. But then you picked up the phone. You said, man, let me invest some money. Let's jump on the podcast and talk. You do your part. So, you know, I saw that and I was like, hey, you know, I don't have a lot of reach, but the little reach that I do, I could try to get a little light on it, right? If we all do our part, yeah. then um then we can make a difference.
0: I love that, man. That's a great sentiment to end on. It's joinjara.com. And if you want to follow John, it's on Instagram. He's at he was funny. And uh and just download the app. It's on all the app stores. Blap. And uh it's, it's supporting Black-owned businesses, which is phenomenal. And I just admire what you do. I've, I've always liked you. Now I love you.
1: I love you, brother. Working it out, because it's not done. Working it out, because there's no...
0: That's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out. Uh, j- uh, you can follow a couple things. We can follow John Laster on Instagram, at hewasfunny. I've I've followed him for a few years over on Instagram. And then you can just go to the App Store. It's a free app called Blapp, B-L-A-P-P, that supports black-owned businesses. Love John Laster. He's doing great things. I think he's going to be doing even more great things in the future. Watch out for John. Uh, Working it out is produced by myself along with Peter Salamone and Joseph Berbiglia consulting producer Seth Barish, sound mix by Kate Bolinsky, associate producer Mabel Lewis, thanks to my consigliere Mike Berkowitz as well as Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall. Special thanks to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. They just announced more tour dates for the spring and the summer. Go see Bleachers. I saw them in Texas. They were amazing. As always, a very special thanks to my wife, the poet, J-Hope Stein, Our book, the new one, is in your local bookstore. But also, she just announced that she is releasing a a book of poems called Little Astronaut that is fantastic. You should follow her on Instagram, at jhopestein, to find out all about her book that comes out for Mother's Day. As always, a special thanks to my daughter, Una, who created our original Radio Fort of Pillows. Thanks most of all to you who are listening— Look, we've been doing this almost two years now. Started as an experiment, became something uh, entirely different. And that's all thanks to you, because you've been telling your friends. You've been even telling your enemies. By the way, if you want to have a a story about (laughs) how you told your enemy (laughs) about the show, (laughs) email workingitoutpod at gmail.com and just say, subject enemies. Who knows? Maybe maybe someone was in front of you at a coffee shop and they were instead of ordering one coffee, they ordered 27 coffees and you just said, "Hey, while I have your ear, <laughs> let me tell you about the podcast I enjoy." <laughs> send me send me those. I literally just thought of that. I think it's sort of a funny thing. I'd love to hear a story of telling an enemy about a podcast. <laughs> we're working it out. We'll see you next time, everybody.